When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma trip to Texas. So go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. What makes the Carnival Cruise fun? A picture-perfect beach day in Cozumel or a tropical adventure to Mayan ruins with snorkel excursion for good measure. A delectable surf and turf at sea topped off with craft cocktails at Alchemy Bar. Now, get some Z's. You never know what tomorrow will bring. Why? Because no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. This is episode 13 of the Bowery Boys, Coney Island Part 2, the 20th Century Sideshow. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. Bowery Boys is brought to you by Euro Cheapo. Euro Cheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at eurocheapo.com. Hello there, and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. And we are on part two of our series on Coney Island. We took you through its beginnings to 1911 on our last podcast, when it was literally an island, to it became a small resort town, to a megaplex of amusement parks where millions and millions of people went. Really hitting its uh, glory days when we left you off. And today we're going to take you through the 21st century, um, really up through last weekend. So let's fall back to where we were when we left the listener last week. Greg, it seems like there was a big fire. There was a fire. Uh, there There were three amusement parks, big parks, Luna Park, Steeplechase Park, and Dreamland. Now, Steeplechase had actually burnt down, but was being in the process of being rebuilt. Dreamland completely burned down to the ground, and we talked about the... Midget firemen, the little, the who little helped land. out yes. the fire department of New York. They couldn't stop it. It was it completely burned down to the ground. Right. Literally the next day, Samuel Gumpers, who was hired as the uh, the manager for Dream Dreamland, and he was the one who came up with all these kooky ex- mm. exhibits and, and weirdo freak show what type kind of things. a Barnum character. Yes, he took some of his weirder acts, so to speak, and literally took them onto the road onto and to, and created a sideshow. That they called a ten and one, and, and it's, it's since become the standard for the sideshow, where it was ten individual acts for one an, an one act, low price. Yes, exactly. An act, you know, in this case being anything from singing Lotto, the fat girl, uh, Lorello, the only man with the revolving head, uh, <laughs> Spider Boy. Professor Graff, the tattoo artist. Right. And, and sometimes these people, I mean, they legitimately could perform tasks. Sometimes they were big phonies, right? Well, you know, sometimes they were just like, you know, poor people that had deformities. And, and uh-huh. you know, they had, you know, and they sold the rights to do these sideshows. Other than where, yeah, they were sort of charlatans. Mm. Uh, it's a mix of all things, whatever he could make money on. The most famous of his cast was this man by the name of William Henry Johnson, who'd actually been doing freak shows and sideshows for years and years and years. In this, this show, he was called The Zip What Is It? We actually know him from Zippy the Pinhead. There was oh, a, yes. He was an inspiration for the 70s underground zine. Most of the people in the sideshow actually appeared in the 
late 20s film Freaks by Todd Browning. They were they peopled the cast with all their different uh, strange eccentricities and deformities and such. Wow, that would be an amazing thing to put on Netflix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who, who's the director? Todd Browning. Okay. And he did Dracula. Right. Gumpers actually left his sideshow in 1929, but by that point, there was tons of sideshows that had descended onto Coney Island. We're talking about the World Circus Freak Show, the Hubert's Museum, the Palace of Wonders, Omar Sammy's 7-in-1 Freak Show. So 7-in-1? <laughs> to the other three. Well, you know, they had different... There were at least ten ten-in-ones, but then there were many other different kinds, like they couldn't get enough freaks or something for their mm. show or whatever. Anyway, so that's the kind of scene that's shaping up in Coney Island, but the, what... what well, and other things scene. were yeah, going on, too, right. So the, the freak shows were all over the place, um, and again, you had... The different parks with their towers, their minarets, a giant elephant hotel that we talked about last week. You had roller coasters zipping around. And, you you know, beyond that, you still had the ocean, let's not forget, and people who were coming out to Coney Island to cool down on really hot summer days and to jump into the water. Everywhere around, they had music um, in music halls, bands, mm-hmm. uh, music accompanying diners, wherever. That's jazz and rack time they stuff, had, right? Yeah, exactly. And brass bands and some big names. I mean, um, there was Eddie Cantor and Jimmy Durante was getting a start out in Coney. And, and everywhere, of course, there was still food. There were little vendors selling hot dogs, like you said before, and fancy restaurants. Well, it's around this time, or, or more precisely, at ni- 1916, when this man, his name was Nathan Handwerker. He worked for a man that we mentioned in our last podcast, Charles Feltman, who was right. sort of the restaurant king and the creator of the hot dog. Right. Well, Nathan worked with him for, for weekends and you know slept on the floor there and, and worked and made money and slept ended, on the floor. Yes, swept the floor. Or slept on the floor. slept on the floor. God, times is rough. <laughs> Well, you know, but he made his money. Sleep on some buns or well, something. Well, but he made his money and he opened his own little shop in the exact same, called it Nathan's, as right. his first name, and it's in the exact same spot now as it was when he first opened it, right, the corner right of Stillwell, on, Stillwell and Surf Avenue. Right, wow. Um, I even read on a one, one website, they actually call it the most famous restaurant location in America, because it literally has yeah. never moved. Uh, and what his sort of innovation was, was seems quite simple, is that he sold his hot dogs for a nickel, and everyone else sold them for 10 cents. At first, it was sort of like, People didn't want to buy cheaper food because it literally had this connotation of being cheap food. But, you know, as people started going out there who had less and less money, a, a nickel hot dog was certainly, you know, you're, gonna pay, you're not going to pay 10 cents to go down the street to Feldman's when you can get a $5 hot dog right there from Nathan's. So it's slowly a five, do- a five cent hot dog. Cent hot dog. I'm right. sorry. So uh, you know, it's, it's not even five dollars now. I mean, there's still only like two dollars and seventy five cents or well, something. I think like the that. one I had last week was like three dollars, but it had like everything in the kitchen sink on it or something. Right. So anyway, you know, and the Nathan's Empire just expanded. I mean, you can buy Nathan's hot dogs now in your in your supermarket. And let's not forget that they started their world famous hot dog eating competition on the Fourth of July. Right at the beginning. At I the think very beginning, at the first year it opened in 1916, they actually probably. said it was a group, of, a group of immigrants were trying to settle a bet, so they, like, they solved it by like, seeing how many hot dogs they could eat, and so they, he just kind of picked this up as a tradition. And now the guy who, just, uh, the guy who won the contest, his this name year, is Joey yeah. Chestnut, and he ate <sighs> 66 hot dogs <laughs> in how and many the minutes? buns in 12 minutes. And his technique? 
what his technique. I'm dipping them into water. Oh, is that what he did? Yeah, oh, he know, dips them into water and be, and then he eats them in three bites, so they just slide down. I saw it on TV. I was too nauseous to really watch it that closely. <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, he was up against uh, the, the winner from several years previously. Well, he didn't make it quite as far. He he up. Oh, he up chucked after like the fiftieth one or something and was disqualified. <laughs> Anyway, but to get, yeah, to get wait, back... Wait, if I could just say a word about Nathan's son, because uh, we can't seem to get away from this bun, but Nathan's son, Murray, a couple decades after opening up the restaurant, uh, Murray, when his father, Nathan, was away on vacation, famously decided to uh, try a little publicity stunt, and he was, he was running the restaurant, and a guy came up to him and offered him the use of a whale that he had just caught oh. off... A whale. Of the Island beaches. Yeah. Had, a whale. They like had a bit, caught like a... a whale, right? Killed a whale. And he arranged for the whale to be dragged up to shore and put right outside Nathan's hot dog stand. Ugh. Well, no. I mean, the idea was that it would actually draw lots of tourists. And, <laughs> and flies, too, I'm, I'm assuming. But at the beginning, I mean, that's a huge yeah. animal. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, people are just going to come over. You can't miss it. It's right there off the street. And while you're over there, you might think about getting a hot dog. <laughs> So you're there eating your hot dog, and you're looking at this gigantic sea creature right. that's sitting right there, right next to the restaurant. Right. And, on and, every, and everything worked. I mean, some curiosity seekers came over. They checked out the whale, and they bought a hot dog. Mm-hmm. And this, this worked well for a couple of days until a surprise heat wave hit the city, <laughs> according to a report that I read, and uh, started decomposing the, the poor creature right there on the sidewalk. And it was at that moment that Good old Nathan came back from vacation and saw the store that he had left to his son, and and no one was even within a block's radius of the restaurant because it smelled so badly. So yeah, I'm really hungry right now. I hope no one's eating <laughs> while you're listening to the podcast. That's uh, that's gross, but you know, the, but the only that, in Coney Island. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of works. It works with the uh, sideshows. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. And and back to the nickels. You said nickel yes. dogs. There was something else that cost a nickel that happened at about the same time. It was actually how they got out there. The subway, they called... How do you Coney, like that lead-in? It was good. Thanks. Coney Island was actually called the Nickel Empire, not because of the hot dogs, but because of the conveyance of getting out there. The, the subway was, was built, and... and Five cents to get out there, five cents to get home. So all of a sudden, this sort of opened a whole universe of people who could get there. Like, it used to be a place for middle class, upper class people. Now, anyone could go. And 
but we said last week that people could take the train out there, which already brought so many new faces. And there's and a ferry, new- too, yes. There's other ways, but they were just more expensive. Right, so the train was not the subway. The subway I mean, didn't open until 1915 or exactly. or whatever. And so this sort of brought on a whole uh, a avalanche of things to just make it better for more common people. Like, for instance, all of the beaches were made open to the public. They weren't... They used to be owned by like private resorts and whatever. Now, anyone can go. Anyone can go sit on the beach. Because the city took control of the boardwalk. Correct. Right? Well, and, and they, the beach and the, Yeah, and they expanded the boardwalk. They actually uh, made it 80 feet wide, and they actually built more beach because right. to take up all that room that the boardwalk was then taking up. And then finally, they hired... Which I, can't, I find this hard to believe, but up until then, they didn't really have lifeguards. Like, each resort could elect to have lifeguards, but some of them didn't. So now the city took that, and they had lifeguards, and they, you know, they actually saved more lives from um, people drowning. <laughs> another benefit of going to Coney Island. Exactly. And so, right, the amusement park is really taking shape at this time. And on top of all of this, on top of the freak shows and the food and and the swimming, we also had the introduction of some of the rides that have gained iconic status. Many of them them still standing. and These came in the 20s, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the first one was the Wonder Wheel. Built in 1920, exactly. And the Wonder Wheel, you can still ride today. I think it's it's pretty much the same ride, isn't it? It's exactly, almost exactly the same. And you can actually feel that it's the same ride <laughs> when you get in one of those cabins. The, the The ride takes you up 135 feet, and it holds 144 riders in these little cabins. Now, there are stationary cabins that you can get into with two benches, or there are moving cabins that ride along a track. Those, oh, yeah, those are the ones that ride. Those are the ones to get into. It's so worth the $5, I have to say, because this thing feels like it could fall apart at any second. I mean, you're riding the, you're in one of these cabins, you're riding along the track, and you really think when it, it sort of jolts and it takes you up and it jerks and it moves you around. You really think that this is going to be it. This is the headline that the Daily News has been waiting for. You are going to fly off that thing. But I should add that they've never, it's, it's, they've never had an accident. Mm. A, a serious accident on the Wonder Wheel, ever. So, I mean, they because they do take good care of it, it's just really old. And if we could flash back to another podcast very quickly, just to remind listeners that in the 77 blackout, it was also the same Wonder Wheel that was packed with, with visitors and riders, and it stopped when the lights went off that, that hot day. And they had to hand crank it, and right? And they hand cranked it down, right? People just sort of all got around and camaraderie and pulled the thing down. I believe that was the only time it ever stopped. I mean, like, uh, during regular business hours, obviously. Mm. So There is also, of course, the other iconic ride out there, the Cyclone, built in... <laughs> Another ride where you feel like this just might be the moment where the <laughs> yeah, thing that one I horribly wrong. Yeah, it's, that one, can't, that one ah, I can't really ride so amazing. much. But it's 1927. It's, one, it's the oldest wooden roller coaster, one of the one of the nation's oldest roller coasters still in operation. I love this ride. I know you're not mm-hmm. a huge fan of it, but it takes you up, clack, 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 as it, as it drags you up to the top. You can look out and see the most magnificent view of Coney Island and the beach and the boardwalk and the other rides. It's really wonderful. And then it plunges you down at a 60-degree angle, and you are flying up out of your seat, and there is nothing but a bar, a simple bar there. You know, in other amusement parks now, you'd be strapped in. You'd have all these 
things, belts, whatever, harnesses. <laughs> not the cyclone. Not on the cyclone. You actually lift out of your seat and are held into your little coaster by a single bar. It's fantastic. And then it whips you around for a minute and a half and it, it cracks your back and whatever. And then you pull back <laughs> up into station and then they offer you another ride for a reduced rate. And so many people do. Right then, yeah. you can stay in your seat. It's amazing. Well, Charles Lindbergh mm. actually described the cyclone as a ride in the cyclone is greater than flying an airplane at top speed. So if he's saying that, and granted, it was a few years younger back when Charles Lindbergh was riding it, but it's. <laughs> I think it's only improved with age, probably. The third ride that is not operating but is still standing out in Coney Island is, call- is called the parachute jump. It has a little bit of a. An interesting career. It was actually built by a retired naval air commander. His name was James Strong. Could you imagine someone with that name building a ride? I mean, that's incredible. Hi, Captain. Um, and he built it actually for military tactics. It was in the 30s. And he, Wait, he built the, that ride? Or not he... that one. He built, he built similar ones. He built, the, built them on his estate. He was retired. And people would drive by and they'd, they'd say, well, this looks like a fun ride. So describe a little bit how it was actually a well, ride. Right, because and, if you go there today, you, just, you see sort of the skeleton of the parachute drop. It's this very tall structure. It stands 190 feet tall. And and it kind of looks like a tree or a big umbrella. So riders would actually sit down in ski lift chairs and they would be pulled up 190 feet. Mm-hmm. Okay, imagine that. Again, an amazing view. I don't know if I'd want to be suspended 190 feet <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> over Coney Island. And then you would be floated down by parachute to the ground. I mean, it sounds incredible. I, I just wish that it hadn't closed in 1968. The one that's in Coney Island now was created for the New York World's Fair in 1939 and was sponsored by Lifesavers Candy. And all the parachutes had multicolored rings on them, like the candy. Uh, George and that's Tillyou, why if you see the old photos, it also says Lifesavers on it, right? Correct. Well, George Tillyou, who we mentioned in the last podcast, is right. the owner of Steeplechase. And his new Steeplechase that he had built, he bought the parachute jump for the park. So they transported it down from the World's Fair to Steeplechase. Chase. And again, like you said, it closed in 1968 and was just sitting there kind of rusting and they didn't know what to do with it. Eventually it was turned into a landmark in 1988 and they've actually repainted it so it looks a little bit like it did when it was the Lifesavers candy advertisement. But it was the late 40s post-World War II where Coney Island started to experience a real series of declines basically because you know transportation was so much better that people could just go and afford to go anywhere they didn't have to go to places that were close by new yorkers could go you you mean to go to the beaches yes right suddenly they could go out to long island they could go to new jersey they could go wherever or they didn't have to go anywhere because at this time places had air conditioning houses movie theaters right and you know they didn't need to even go out on those hot days so they didn't need to go venture out to the beach not well, to mention that they had this new little glowing box in their house um which meant that there was all the entertainment in the world being broadcast into their living rooms they never needed to leave also coney island because it had this you know perception of like this is where everybody goes this is where the masses go it also started to take on the connotation of like being a lower class place and you know it used to be the people's in, playground yes and the, but the early part of the century was very middle class and uh, and that it sort of lost that distinction especially when the 50s came along mm. well there were also right some gang problems in the 50s not like today's gangs still groups of menacing harassing right. youths that would hang out usually around 
the amusement areas, people were still going out to the beaches. You know, let's not project some image of Coney Island suddenly becoming some giant vacant beach in the 1950s. No, they were still going in hordes to the beaches, but there was a marked downturn in the amusement areas, and Uh, this was only brought on further by our friend, the Parks Commissioner. Robert Moses. So in 1944, of course, Luna Park was damaged by the fire that we've already talked about. It was actually sold to another company uh, who announced that they were going to destroy the park completely and put up apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a familiar story in New York. Let's say it it went back and forth. Moses said, fine, you can put it up. Now, remember that it had been zoned amusement only. So he said, well, I'm going to change that zoning over to residential if you'll also include some lower income housing. Moses, as we've said before, detested anything basically that was fun. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he, he, he detested the sordid rides and concessions. He said to then-Mayor LaGuardia, there is no use bemoaning the end of the old Coney Island. So he demolished some parts of it, right? Oh, yeah, to, he was clearing build, the land out. and He and, built an ice skating rink. Right, the Abe Stark, which is still there. And he built the aquarium, right? right. Okay. And, he, and many people always point out, critics point out, that he cleared out more land than was even necessary. There's all that, even if you go out today and look at the ice skating rink, there's all that land around it. Open parking space, or not even parking space. Right, some fields, some parking. He just sort of went a little over the top. And in 53, he actually had the entire island rezone residential. So it would have all been gone. Yeah, he wanted to demolish the entire thing. He wanted to demolish all of the amusement parks and replace the entire area with low-income housing. This actually caused, believe it or not, some public outrage, and it it led to the rezoning of the land between the Cyclone and West 22nd Street mm-hmm. uh, to be rezoned as amusement, which it's still zoned today. Uh, however, that could also change, as we'll get to in a, in a little bit. But it is weird to see that and just think, wow, Wow, Coney Island used to be five so times bigger, bigger on one side and on the other side. It's weird to think of it as being like a small little sliver of what it used to be. Another famous powerful man came along in the 60s and made his little mark on Coney Island, a man by the name of Fred Trump. Mm, any relation to the Donald? That's daddy. Oh, also a developer. Well, he uh, steeplechase closed in 1964. That was the last remaining amusement park to be open from the original. This three. was the amusement park with all the racing horses that you could sit yeah. on. It was sold to Fred. He just was he delighted in having it destroyed and having it cleared out. As a matter of fact, he actually had a funeral. Ugh. For this, for, this is for, one of the creepier for, chapters. For steeplechase. <laughs> he had a funeral for this amusement park where he had bikini-clad girls hand out hot dogs to reporters right. and gave them rocks to throw the rocks into the beautiful stained glass windows of the Pavilion of Fun that was in the middle of uh, steeplechase. And so... It was a class act. So anyway, he wanted to rebuild in the, in the steeplechase area, but he was caught in, in court cases for years. He wanted ultimate, to put up luxury apartments, right? Yes. But ultimately, it, d- it didn't happen. Nothing happened. He just basically destroyed something but didn't put anything up, which might be for the better, I guess. Yeah, but he did lease it out to Norman Kaufman, who actually then turned it back into something he called Steeplechase Park, and he threw up some rides. <laughs> he threw up some rides. <laughs> 
And and a steeplechase park did operate for a while through the 60s and into the 70s, but crowds were also falling out. People were becoming increasingly, increasingly uncomfortable with going out to Coney Island. There was also some other issues happening here, racial tensions happening, arson in the city. Things pollution being, was pretty bad at that pollution point. Pollution on the beaches. Who wanted to go on that beach when things were washing up and they had to close down the beaches regularly because well, the water levels were It's up. New York City in the 70s, so you can just imagine how that translates onto Coney Island. And basically. it wasn't pretty. But Tom, there's that ball field out there, that right. minor league ball field. Keystone East Sand Park, right. right. Uh, when did that pop up? That looks like it's a much newer structure than anything yeah, else Yeah, I know. I'm there. sorry. We kind of get stuck in the mud here because then it really goes back. Let's just push forward, and we're pushing forward through a couple decades of bureaucratic infighting mm-hmm. and different administrations. Giuliani is stuck in some of this. Uh, something called Sportsplex. Developers are fighting with each other. Giuliani said, fine, you can build to this company called Sportsplex your own amusement park if you also include a stadium out here that will be for the minor leagues, right, which okay. would feed into the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they sold off the name to Keyspan Energy, and it opened in 2001. Now, it's and it, and it's a big smash. I think that oh yeah, the the team that's called the Brooklyn Cyclones. Right. They're named after, of course, the Cyclone roller coaster. But ironically, in order to build build it, they had to rip down uh, roller coasters. And that yeah. kind of an older one that was there called the Thunderbolt. The Thunderbolt was right there, and this hasn't been you know confirmed, but it's widely understood that the Keyspan executives were complaining to the Giuliani administration that the old Thunderbolt wooden roller coaster, which was built in 1926, I believe, was blocking the view of Keyspan Park from the rest of Coney Island. So what do you know, one morning, before activists could get the Thunderbolt uh, labeled a landmark, the Giuliani administration just had the whole thing demolished. And so present day, we have a, a new developer out there, and its name is Thor Equities. Right. It has spent almost more than $100 million to acquire just these 10 acres of Coney Island real estate. They have these lavish plans, or did have them. They, they've had to keep going to the drawing board again and again, but they just wanted to do some really wacky, one might say appalling things, like open timeshares out there, a glass-covered water park, a Nickelodeon-themed hotel. And we're talking about Nickelodeon, the TV TV show. Yes, exactly. You know, the first plan was just everyone was horrified by it. I think they've gone back to the city with something a little bit more modified. Right. And and I think one of the central issues here is, again, how this area is zoned, because it's always been zoned amusement. I mean, we had the struggle with, with Moses, but now it's people are fighting for it to remain amusement, and somebody like Thor Properties or Thor Equities wants it to be rezoned residential so that they could put up timeshare apartments and things like that that would actually you know, be very lucrative for them to sell off. Now they're coming back and saying, no, we're going to keep amusement park rides. There will always be rides at Coney Island. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an ongoing story, of course. I'm, I'm just reading this from a story that was yesterday. The Thor Equities owner promising that, quote, in 2008, 2009, 2010, and beyond, there will be amusements to be enjoyed by residents, tourists, and anyone else who wants to enjoy all that Coney Island has to offer. So they're still coming out with this good guy rhetoric. They, mm-hmm. They're going to preserve amusement at Coney Island, but people who are familiar with Coney Island have heard it all before. <laughs> yes, it's been with decades and decades of de- development. If you go out there now, though, there's still there's still a Coney Island to go to. It's still fun. It's still nostalgic. You know, if you were to walk the streets, you would still see the Wonder Wheel. You'll still see the Cyclone. You'll still see a sideshow. It's called the Sideshow on the Seashore. It was star- actually started in 1983, but it's still there. They have 
a new permanent funny. home, and you, I believe you went there, I right? went there on Sunday. It's pretty funny. It's about, I think, $5, it, and yeah. uh, you see 10 acts. Ten, for ten one low price. Yeah, it's a great time. I think it, now it's a little bit more of a perf- performance arts piece, but uh, <laughs> a little more like maybe self aware of itself. But li- that's okay. But it's great, you know. And more you can buy some correct. Coney Island beer, and you can just sit there and have a great afternoon. And the sideshow it was started by this man named uh, Dick Zygan, who's considered sort of the unofficial mayor of Coney Island. He also in 1983 in his company, the Coney Island USA, they actually started what. You'll probably, you know, what everyone goes out there for, the Mermaid Parade, which happens every year. It started in 1983, and it was sort of an homage to the Mardi Gras parades that they used to have there, like, that started in 1903. So, there's all these, like, colorful, flamboyant costumes with aquatic themes, but I think you can just kind of wear anything if if you're a kook and you want to have a crazy costume, but Mm. it's always fun. Mm. It's always fun. It happens in June, so. Anyway, I hope we've we've taken you through a lengthy but hopefully enjoyable tour of Coney Island. Uh, And as far as Coney Island's future, we're really, nobody knows. All I can say is keep reading your local paper and keep looking online. It's anybody's guess right now, but we can say that the future of the of the island's four major landmarks, the Cyclone, Dino's, Wonder Wheel, the Parachute Jump, and Child's Restaurant is assured, according to city officials who were quoted in the paper yesterday, they assured that all four will continue to be open because they have landmark status. And as a sign posted on the Wonder Wheel reads, open this year and next year and next year and next year. And I'm holding them to that promise. <laughs> I am. Well, thank you for listening to us. I just wanted to let you know that you should go to the website, Bowery Boys Podcast, which we update every week with lots of stuff. And we update with pictures. So if you go there right now, we will be, we'll have lots of pictures of some of the things we've been talking about and some things that we didn't get to talk about, if you can believe that. And we'll be posting links, too, where you can find more information about Coney Island, Coney Island USA, um, and the so, Freak Show, and everything. And some of the information, some places where we got some of the information we Greg does an amazing job of updating that every single day. So you really should check it out. BoweryBoysPodcast.com. Thank you. Well, have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you next week. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.